Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. My mind, you just wake up and go rake. So, if Ben Sherrington in that front office is all of a sudden willing to spend a little money and willing to roll the dice on the roster, I already mentioned that this division is wide open. Do they win the National League Central? I'm not sure. But O'Neill Cruz, Brian Reynolds, Key Brian Hayes, they still have McCutcheon, Jack Swinski, they signed Rowdy Telez, Grandal, Henry Davis. They got some dudes in Pittsburgh. Follow at Wake and Rake Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I'm kind of a big deal. Here's Danny and Will. What's up, party people? Wake and Rake Podcast, all part of the Believe Network, episode 113. Happy spring training. Everybody, we waited a long time for this. Finally here. Danny Vietti here. Wilma Brooks is out on assignment. I want to apologize. First and foremost, it's been a little bit. You can probably hear it in my voice still. I've been dealing with some sickness. Brooks has been dealing with some uh, some kid things recently. But with spring training kicking up here, I'm getting a little healthier now. Should be able to kick things up a notch here. And the news wire right now across Major League Baseball is picking up. So let's get right into it. Let's start with a rundown, and then I'll get into our, our main topic of today's episode. Cody Bellinger signs finally here. On, it was February. It was late uh, Saturday night, February 24th. It's going to be very incentivized. In other words, there's guaranteed money, but there's incentive for him to play really well because there's going to be an opt-out after each of the three years. It's an $80 million deal with the Chicago Cubs for Cody Bellinger. There's an opt-out after each of those years. The first year is going to be $30 million. Year two, $30 million. Year three, $20 million. Remember, he declined an option with the Dodgers last year to become a free agent. He wound up signing, kind of betting on himself a little bit, signing a one-year deal with the Cubbies. And he balled out, and he got a little bit better of a contract here with a three-year $80 million. Well, if he decides to opt out after year one yet again, he could be a free agent for the third straight year. And by the way, he has not even reached the age of 30. So Bellinger is off the board finally. There's still a lot of dominoes left to fall in free agency. Last year's National League Cy Young winner, Blake Snell, he's still a free agent. Jordan Montgomery, saw him last year, win a World Series with the Texas Rangers. He's still available. Matt Chapman, arguably the best defensive third baseman in the American League. He's still a free agent. J.D. Martinez is still a free agent. Still some dominoes left to fall. Spring training's just kind of getting started here. We're about a month away from the first game between the Padres and the Dodgers. Um, that's going to be coming up in the third week of March. So time's a ticking. Still some free agents left to go. The Oakland A's. The Oakland A's, they stopped doing their fan fest. And they're not alone. There, there's some, like the Washington Nationals stopped doing fan fest a couple of years ago. Uh, Oakland's not alone here. But the A's, as an organization... After 2020, they decided to stop doing FanFest. And that's, of course, amidst their intentions to leave Oakland, to relocate to what is looking like Las Vegas, although it's not a guarantee. So the A's as an organization stopped doing it, and, and fans were disappointed. At the same time, it was in 2020 that they stopped doing it. So they had the excuse of stopping FanFest because of COVID, Right. There was no fan fests anywhere. There was no events anywhere during COVID. So they had that as a crutch moving forward. Oh, we're not going to do fan fests anymore. It's not because we're trying to relocate. It's because COVID. We don't, you know, we don't want to put anybody in danger. But as it turns out, we're here in 2024, and the Oakland A's announced their relocation, or at least their intentions to relocate, and they still are not putting on a fan fest. And they don't have any intentions of doing so for the foreseeable future, at least uh, as it seems. So this is pretty cool, man. What the A's fans decided to do. I mean, their team has already announced that they're leaving. There have been no reports. There's no signals. There's no indications that they're going to get an expansion team in Oakland. So uh, the writing's on the wall. And yet the Oakland A's, what their fans did, not what the organization did. I want to emphasize that. It's not what the organization did. They were not involved in this planning and executing at all. It was This was completely fan-funded, fan-planned, fanned everything, they put on their own fan fest in Jack London Square in Oakland, California. It was really cool how it, it, it came to fruition, too, because this is completely Oakland-based. It was put on mostly, you know, there, there's a lot of figures involved, 
But uh, kind of the headliners were the Oakland 68, which is a fan group of the A's, the Roots, and the Oakland Soul. And then the Last Dive Bar, which they're a group that also um, are dedicated fans to the Oakland A's. So a couple different groups. They had some sponsors put in. <laughs> There's some uh, nuance there when it came to sponsors, but I won't get into it. But the point is, is that you have a team that has already indicated that they're leaving. You have an ownership that refuses to invest into a ball club and refuses to put any investment into their fans. They play in the same crappy, crummy ballpark for decades. And yet the fans are showing up in thousands to support the team. And there's a lot of people out there that still don't think that, you know, they, they still blame the fans for the Oakland Athletics leaving. And don't get me wrong, you could start placing blame everywhere. I think, you know, it's never one thing for why these things happen. There's always some blame to be placed to the city, to the league. And you, I think some fans, to a degree, you know, they've never been top 10 in attendance necessarily. So sure, if you want to put some blame on the fans, that's fine. But I think what this weekend really represented is what Oakland is. A blue-collar town, hard-working town. They're not giving up. They showed up in the thousands, despite their team indicating on leaving. And yet they showed up. They put on their own fan fest. They did it themselves. They had no backing from Major League Baseball or their team at all. Not that they've ever had backing from that team or that ownership group. And yet they were able to put on this event in Jack London Square. Props to you, Oakland. Props to you, man. You just you just keep on churning. Just keep on churning. Who knows? Like I said, I don't think it's anything. I don't think anything is guaranteed on their relocation to Vegas. There's some things happening over there that I'm hearing that maybe it won't happen at all. So who knows? More to come. Pablo Sandoval. Yeah, it's what year is it? 2024. And we're talking about Pablo Sandoval still playing Major League Baseball. He signed a, a deal with the San Francisco Giants to return. And at first, when the news came out, it's like, oh, the Giants did a similar thing with. Sergio Romo, and they're probably just going to put on a little bit of a retirement farewell party during spring training. That's not the case, actually. Sandoval is looking like he's in impeccable shape. If you haven't seen the side-by-side images of what he looked like his last year, uh, last Major League Baseball season, I should say, in 2021, compared to what he looks like now here in 2024 spring training, it's incredible. I, I, I've, I don't, you know, I've been a Giants fan, or I, I grew up a Giants fan in Northern California. I've never seen. Pablo Sandoval in such good shape. Sandoval most recently played in the Mexican League back in 2022. He ended up playing in the, the new Baseball United League over in the United Arab Emirates. Um, and, and here he is signing a minor league contract with the San Francisco Giants. Uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of big names signing with San Francisco in a long, long time. So, hey, maybe get a few more fans out to the ballpark. Just it, It's a minor league deal. There's no guarantee he makes a team. In fact, it's probably very unlikely he makes a team. But Sandoval did say he's willing to go down to AAA, and maybe he gets a, a call-up at some point. Last thing I have my, on my docket before we get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode is the Pirates. Bob Nutting and that ownership group is actually spending money. I never thought I'd see the day. Uh, they extended their ace and Brad Keller. And this comes after extending their two uh, faces of the franchise, with the exception of Andrew McCutcheon. Their two faces of the franchise in Key Brian Hayes and Brian Reynolds in the two years prior. So coming into 2022, the largest contract the Pittsburgh Pirates had ever handed out in the franchise's history was to Jason Kendall, $60 million. That was back in the year 2000, more than two decades ago. So since 2022, they extended Key Brian Hayes for $70 million to make him the richest player in franchise history. A year ago, they ex- extended Brian Reynolds, their star center fielder, for $106.75 million. He then, and, and is still currently the most expensive player in Pittsburgh Pirates franchise history. And then now, just last week, Pirates extended their ace in Mitch Keller. He finished top five in strikeouts last year in the National League, really had a breakout season. They extended him for seventy-seven. million million dollars like there's a lot of a lot of criticism uh especially from me and brooksy to some of these so-called small town markets small town baseball clubs about not spending money cleveland tampa oakland looking at you but pittsburgh deserves a lot of credit because they've had a lot of criticism over the last couple decades their ownership refusing to invest into the ball club invest money into their payroll and here they are extending hayes reynolds keller so I applaud Pittsburgh for finally, finally starting to invest in the team a little bit. And who knows, maybe might get more fans that show up to the ballpark. Who would have thought 
Let's move on. Meat and potatoes. Yes, I'm solo today. Brooksy's out. And I have two episodes planned. I talked about how I've been kind of overcoming some sickness recently. But the good news is that I've been have I've been able to write uh, you know, put a lot of pen to paper recently just because I haven't been able to talk much. And I have an ep- uh, an idea for two episodes. I, I I decided to do two different versions of this. I thought about doing it all in one, but it's extended a little bit. The cool thing about spring training and like the new baseball season is that like everybody has something to look forward to. You know, even your bottom feeder teams, like your, your Royals, your, hey, no offense, guys, but like this is what fan, I'll just go by fan grass projections. Your bottom feeder teams, at least win-wise, your Royals, your your A's, your your Rockies. In spring training, like everybody, especially fans, like they can convince themselves, even, even by the smallest of margins, they can convince themselves that they have a chance. And I think that's what's so cool about spring training, baseball, professional sports, is that no matter how lackluster your roster might be, there's always a little slimmer of hope. And that's what today's episode is mostly going to be about, is I have a glass is half full and a glass is half empty for all 30 teams. Today's episode, I'm focusing on the National League. We're going to have a volume two of this for the American League. Today's going to be National League. Volume two is going to be American League. Let's go ahead and kick it off in the National League West. Everybody always starts in the American League East. They want to talk about the Yankees and Red Sox first. Not here, baby. West Coast bias. Here we go. Dodgers have been the talking point all offseason long. Yamamoto, Otani, Teoscar Hernandez. The list goes on. So let's start with the glasses half full. And there's probably a thousand different options. Some that I just mentioned already. But I'll start here. They're projected to win 100 or more games again. And they're the betting favorites to win the World Series, according to every single betting Uh, company that you could possibly find sports betting now the glass is half empty for the Dodgers this year they won 100 or more games in five of the last six seasons full seasons I make that clear not talking 2020 when they played 60 games they've won 100 more games in five of the last six full seasons zero titles in those six full seasons again they won in 2020 it was a 60 game season Full season-wise, they have yet to hoist that trophy, and that's been the biggest bugaboo. You know, you win 100 games, they end up being the, they've been the favorites to win the World Series, I think, four out of the last five, three out of the last four, and I have the numbers in front of me. But they continue to get trounced in, uh, by teams like the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Atlanta Braves another year. Uh, they've fallen short in the playoffs, and Mookie Betts talked about this in spring training, is they're eager to get over that hump. So glasses half full for the Dodgers. Pick one. You have Otani. You're going to have 50,000 showing up to the ballpark. The media is just going to be an absolute circus in Los Angeles this year. The Japanese media with Yamamoto and Otani, the American media, just the fact that they're the Dodgers and they're the biggest ticket on the West Coast, maybe Evie, even in the entire country. So all the spotlights, all the cameras are going to be on the Dodgers this year. Glasses half empty. They've been in this position before and they've fallen short time and time again. Their rival up north, San Francisco Giants. Glasses half full. The future is now. Marco Luciano, who's their top prospect in their farm system. They've been looking at him for a while. They've had him since I think he was 16, 17 years old since they signed him internationally. And they look to Luciano as being the um, next step at their shortstop position after Brandon Crawford. Brandon Crawford manned that position for a decade plus, was able to hoist a couple titles. San Francisco is is beloved, and you can make the argument is maybe not maybe he won't get a statue, Brandon Crawford in San Francisco, but we'll, we'll certainly have his name cemented somewhere in that ballpark, and he's considered a San Francisco hero. So he's got some big shoes to fill, Luciano, and he's still only, let's see... Luciano is still only 22 years old, so he's still young. You know, he's, he has uh, had some experience last year with the San Francisco Giants. He kind of came up when Crawford was injured a little bit, but they weren't giving him everyday time. 14 games last year, 231 batting average, still looking for his, his first homer. You look at his, his minor league stats, the kid's got a lot of pop, a lot of raw talent. Last year, with uh, he skipped. Triple A initially, I want to say, but last year in 2023, it was 15 homers, 40 ribbies across 74 games. So that works out to about a 30 homer and hitter across 162 games. So there's a lot of pop there for Luciano, 
But again, he's young. The talent's still raw. San Francisco is looking for him to hone in on some of those skills that he can, so he can become a real everyday player for Bob Melvin's uh, San Francisco Giants. And not to mention, too, Kyle Harrison. Harrison was pretty solid last year at times. They really held him back last year. They didn't want him going more than four or five innings. The pitch count was really tight and restriction, uh, restricted last year. Uh, Harrison is also 22 years of, of, of age. So him and Luciano, both, both 22, which is great for San Francisco, as they have really yet to – they've always been the bridesmaid in the free agent party, right? They lost out on Otani, Bryce Harper, Garrett Cole. list goes on. But – They've been able to kind of, Farhan Zaidi in that front office has been able to build their farm system a little bit. Well, now they're on the cusp of making and being on the big league ball club, Kyle Harrison, Marco Luciano. Harrison last year, seven games started, a 4.15 ERA. What you love to see is 35 strikeouts across 34 and two-thirds innings pitch. Strikeout stuff is there. The control needs some work and some tinkering. San Francisco is, is, is hoping that he makes those leaps this season. The defending National League champion, Arizona Diamondbacks. Should have probably started off with the D-backs. They deserve that respect, right? Glasses half full for the Diamondbacks as they're way ahead of schedule, and their roster got significantly better in the offseason. They had a really strong offseason. Brooksy and I will probably do grades here at some point, offseason grades. We were trying to wait until the bigger names came off the market. Chapman, Mont- I mean, the bigger names have gotten off, but they're still... A lot to be sorted out. Wherever Blake Snell goes, I mean, that could have a major impact. So Brooks and I will probably be doing offseason grades at some point here soon. But the Diamondbacks in particular had a really strong offseason. They didn't necessarily get any A-level, A-listers necessarily in the offseason. But Eduardo Rodriguez slot into your number three starter role. You bring over Jock Peterson, uh, Randall Gritchick. They're probably going to platoon in the outfield slash DH spot for Arizona. And then they traded and acquired for Eugenio Suarez to take over the third base position over there at the hot corner. So really strong offseason for the Arizona Diamondbacks, a team that was in the World Series last year. And they're so ahead of schedule. They're young. Brandon Fott last year was slotted into a starting position uh, in their rotation. Wasn't really expected to do much because he had limited experience. Well, now Fott's going to be coming into this season, 2024. Confidence is riding high. Corbin Carroll, he's still just 23 years of age. Uh, Gabriel Moreno, who really cemented himself as one of the premier gloves behind the dish in the National League last year, he's still 24 years of age. Alec Thomas, 23. Still a lot of youth on this team. And now you're mixing in some veterans with Jock Peterson. You already have Christian Walker. uh, Obviously, uh, at the starting uh, pitching position, you still have Merrill Kelly. Zach Gallen, still just 28 years of age. Paul Seawald's in the back of that bullpen. Yeah, the Diamondbacks are going to be just as good this year, if not better, because now they have more experience and they got some reinforcements this year. Glasses half empty for the Diamondbacks is the Dodgers are better on paper. But again, the games are not played on paper. We saw last year the Diamondbacks were the lesser team on paper, and yet they were still able to sweep the Dodgers. They were able to get past the Phillies and they were able to all, all the way to the, uh, you know, guide their way all the way to the uh, World Series. So let's go south. San Diego Padres. Glasses half full. You get a full season of Fernando Tatis Jr. Remember, Tatis, because of the suspension injuries, he had to miss the first month of the season for San Diego last year. San Diego was never able to get it on track as a team last year. They had immense talent, immense projections, immense potential. They were never able to reach those levels last year for whatever reason you look at their run differential it didn't make sense they were outscoring teams last year something like they're like plus 70 plus 50 and yet they only finished with an 82 and 80 record the Padres did and they missed the playoffs very very disappointing season in San Diego I can't really explain it they had a reliever of the year candidate Josh Hader they had the National League Cy Young Blake Snell the numbers indicate that the Padres frankly just got unlucky last year for whatever reason it didn't happen but now you're going to get a full season of Fernando Tatis Jr. and this is a critical piece of the argument too is that Tatis has dealt with a lot of either injuries or suspensions across his young career thus far he is plus I want to say like 800 to win the MVP uh, this season 
you're just talking about talent. Tatis is an MVP candidate when he is healthy and when he is obviously not suspended. Oh, here you go. You get a full 162 of Tatis. Maybe with San Diego having less big names on their roster, maybe it takes the pressure off of some of these young players such as Tatis, and they can... Tatis is the franchise in San Diego. That's who he was extended to be contract-wise. That's who he is looked upon. He's beloved in the city of San Diego. Maybe this is the year he comes back and becomes the Fernando Tatis Jr. that we all fell in love with when he first came up to the big leagues. Glasses half empty for the San Diego Padres. They're cutting payroll. And we know that now. That's you know it's no secret. They actually they cut their payroll, I want to say, by $80 million. It's there's more for agents to be signed. You know, that's that number could change, could be altered. But um, as of right now, they have the highest cutting of payroll in Major League Baseball compared to last season. So 2023 to 2024, nobody has cut more payroll than the San Diego Padres. The passing of their beloved owner, Peter Seidler, cutting of payroll. Glasses half empty for the Padres. It's a tough division, cutting payroll. You still have plenty of reasons to get out to the ballpark, obviously. None better than just it's Petco Park, my opinion. The best ballpark in Major League Baseball, at least one of. And then you get Tatis for a full year, Machado, Xander Bogarts, Hassam Kim. A lot of reasons to still make it out to Petco Park. But cutting payroll is certainly going to have an impact. Last team in the National League West, the Colorado Rockies. It was kind of hard to find the glasses half full for Colorado. But I mentioned every team can do it because it's spring training and everybody has hope. You get a full season of Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant was signed for whatever reason after the uh, disposal of Nolan Arenado when Colorado infamously traded Arenado to St. Louis. And they also sent St. Louis, by the kindness of their hearts, another $60 million to help with the contract of Arenado. Well, a year later, Colorado signed Chris Bryant to man the hot corner. Well, he's no more uh, at, he's no longer at the hot corner. He's now expected to play first base for the Rockies in the Mile High City. Chris Bryant has dealt with a lot of injuries. Uh, the contract has not worked out since he signed as a free agent two seasons ago. He's been hindered by these back issues and really has never been able to be the Chris Bryant that we saw when he won the MVP back in 2016 with the Cubs. He's 32 years old. He's playing a less premier position now at first base, which the Colorado Rockies are hoping can help keep him on the field on a more everyday basis. It's Colorado. The ball flies. So if you do get 162 of Chris Bryant, maybe you see those numbers start to climb. Glasses half empty for the Colorado Rockies. The starting rotation last year had ERAs up over five, all of them. And this season, all five of their starting pitchers are projected, according to Fangraphs, to have ERAs up over five. Kyle Freeland, Cal Quantrill, Austin Gomber, Ryan Feltner, and Dakota Hudson all Expected projected ERAs up over five. Kyle Friedland, 5.52, 5, 546 5, for Quantrill, Gomber, a 5.50, Feltner, 5.29, and Dakota Hudson, a 5.45. Again, those are according to Fangrass. Not a lot of pitching happening in Colorado and probably not a lot of wins when you have five starters projected to have an ERA over five. All right, National League Central time, baby. Start with the Cubbies. Just talked about them, Chris Bryant. It's probably a good segue. It got up to a little bit of a slow start this offseason with the Cubbies. I think after showing some growth last year and getting close to making the postseason in 2023, it kind of fell off the last couple months of the season. But they showed a lot of uh, of potential, and you can kind of see the future start to evolve for Chicago. Well, they decided to get rid of their manager, and they decided to, uh, it was David Ross, and they filled it with Craig Council former Milwaukee Brewers manager. Well, here's your glasses half full for the Chicago Cubs. Craig Council has six straight winning full seasons. Again, I use that word full. Consider a qualifier if you want, but that's not including the 2020 60-game season. So Craig Council had a couple losing seasons when he first took over for Milwaukee back in the early 20, mid-2010s, and he has since won, had six straight winning seasons. So if you're the Cubbies, you're looking, you bring in this manager, you make him the highest paid manager across Major League Baseball, Craig Council. Well, he has six straight years of winning. So if you're looking to continue to grow here in Chicago, you also made some pretty strong moves. Uh, free agent-wise, again, I, I said it started out slow, but you bring over Shoto Imanaga um, from overseas. You bring in Hector Neris to help out with the bullpen. 
Bat-wise, not a whole lot of pop necessarily, at least free agent-wise. I mentioned that they just did um, sign-slash-extend Cody Bellinger. They brought over Michael Bush, former top prospect in the Dodgers organization, and they just recently signed Garrett Cooper, too, to help out with a little first base designated hitter role as well. Glasses half empty for the Chicago Cubs. With the exception of Cody Bellinger, when I made this list, it was before Bellinger signed, but I think the point still stands is they really have not if zero scary names in the rotation or the lineup. And that could change. You know, like maybe Imanaga becomes a total Cy Young pitcher for all I know. I, time will tell there. We look at the rotation. Justin Steele is a Cy Young candidate last year. Good pitcher. Does he scare me? Not yet. He doesn't really have that, that gumption yet on his career. Jameson Tyone, another good pitcher. Does he th- scare me? Not necessarily. I mentioned Imanaga. Kyle Hendricks. This generation's uh, Greg Maddox doesn't really intimidate you too much. Jordan Wicks, go over to the, the lineup. Dansby Swanson, all-star shortstop. One of the better National League shortstops and has been for years now. Does he scare me? Eh. Ian Happ, another good player. I mentioned Cody Bellinger. Bellinger's probably the biggest threat. Like if you're a pitcher on the mound and you see a guy walk into the dish, Bellinger's probably your most intimidating player in the Cubs lineup, just off the name. But even the Cubbies don't totally believe in Bellinger. They gave him a three-year deal with a bunch of player options. They, Scott Boris, who is Cody Bellinger's agent, they wanted a bigger deal. They did not get it. They held out for as long as they possibly can. He wanted to get Bellinger a longer-term deal, closer to $150 to $200 million. There wasn't a team willing to meet that mark. And so they instead signed this, you know, this incentivized, you know, you can hit for agency after this year. And so even the Cubbies were not willing to go $150, $200 million for Cody Bellinger. He has three good seasons, three really, really poor seasons Bellinger does under his belt. So what kind of Bellinger are we going to get in 2024? I don't know. I think he's the most intimidating player in the lineup, probably him and Seiya Suzuki, but there's still a question mark hanging over Bellinger's head. So the glass is half empty for the Cubs. There's not a lot, a whole lot of intimidating names. St. Louis. Glass is half full as the division is wide open with the Milwaukee Brewers unloading. I'll get to Milwaukee in a second, detail-wise. But Milwaukee really got rid of some of their, at least is looking to get rid of a lot of their big names, starting with Corbin Burns. But again, I'll get there in a second. Last year, St. Louis finished in last place, which was surprising to many when you consider the names that they have in their lineup, headlined by Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. Wilson Contreras, you have some young studs coming up with Nolan Gorman, uh, Lars Newtbar, Tommy Edmond. It was really the starting rotation that hindered the Cardinals last season. And what did they do to combat that? Well, they signed Sonny Gray, who was a top three Cy Young in the American League last year with Minnesota. Uh, you bring in Cal Gibson, Lance Lynn. Other than Sonny Gray, there's really no guarantees there. Lance Lynn had a really struggled uh, struggle of a 2023. Cal Gibson is a good pitcher innings eater not necessarily going to be an all-star necessarily but a guy that you want in your three four spot in your rotation so the rotation got better their lineup is just as good as it was last season and you're probably going to add mason win at the shortstop position one of their top prospects if not the top prospect in the organization so the glass is half full for the cardinals is they got better lineup wise and certainly rotation wise in the division right now it's especially when you look at the betting odds, there's really no favorite. It's really a total coin toss for who's going to, there's not going to be a runaway with this division. Glass is half empty for the St. Louis Cardinals as they're old still. You know, even the guys that they signed to their starting rotation, they were old last year. They were relying on 41 year old Adam Wainwright to be the horse in that rotation. We saw how that went. Well, this year they were going to rely on Sonny Gray, who's 34 years old. Miles Michaelis, 35 years old. Kyle Gibson, 36. Lance Lynn, 36. Steven Matz, 32. They have one of, if not the oldest starting rotation in baseball. They had it last year, and this year it's looking much of the same. Lineup-wise, we saw a little bit of regression with Nolan Arenado. Now he says that um, he's looking to bounce back from that and get back to the old Arenado. But we saw a little bit of regression when it comes to hard hit percentage, barrel percentage, uh, we've seen a little bit of a regression ever since he went away from Coors Field in Colorado, where he started his career. That's to be expected. Paul Goldschmidt's now 36 years old. They do have some youth movement 
and their lineup, which is good. But starting rotation-wise and arm-wise, St. Louis is old. That's your glasses half empty. All right, I mentioned Milwaukee. I do not know what Milwaukee's trying to do. You get rid of Corbin Burns, who's your ace, and he's going to be a free agent at year's end. So business-wise, it kind of makes sense. They were never going to be able to afford Corbin Burns. 2021 Cy Young, Corbin Burns. And they're also coming up on free agency for their starting shortstop and Willie Adamas. All indications are is that he's going to be on the trade market, especially if Milwaukee gets off to a slow start this year. Expect Adamas to be on the trade market. There's even some questions over whether Christian Yelich is going to extend his career in Milwaukee. He signed a big-time deal with Milwaukee becoming the highest-paid Milwaukee brewer in franchise history. But he really hasn't been the MVP Yelich of 2018, and uh, he finished second in MVP voting in 2019. So he's not really the same Yelich, but he did have a, a really strong campaign in 23, which was good to see. But with the way that the Brewers are going, you lose your manager and Craig Council, likely going to lose your shortstop and Willie Adamas, if not soon, then next offseason. You lose your ace and Corbin Burns. Brandon Woodruff is going to be out for this season. He was their number two starter. A lot of question marks over Milwaukee. The good news for Milwaukee, and this is your glasses half full, Jackson Trio, and they have six, uh, Jackson Trio, who's the number two overall prospect in Major League Baseball, and they also have six top 100 prospects. It's kind of, kind of similar to San Francisco. They're kind of, there's a question of what their direction is, Milwaukee. I think your direction is going to be Jackson Trio, who's expected to be your starting center fielder. Um, He's still just 20 years old, so he's going to be one of the youngest players in Major League Baseball. It's going to be baptism by fire for this kid. But all everything I've talked to, you know, I, we had Jake McKinley, who was player of uh, development of player development, or uh, excuse me, director of player development. I'm sorry. We had him on the Wake and Rake podcast just a few weeks ago. He was telling me all about how he was first found Trio and uh, how impressive he was as a teenager, going off uh, playing against in spring training and camps against adults so all indications is that trio is the real deal that's your glasses half full for milwaukee is you have a little bit of youth movement glasses half empty for the brewers is as i kind of alluded to already is the rebuild is on the horizon corbin burns gone brandon woodruff he's back but he's going to be gone for the season maybe he's a trade candidate if somebody wants to pull the trigger willie adamas is likely next pittsburgh pirates keep your eye on the pittsburgh pirates this year Glasses half full is I, I I touched on it at the beginning of this episode. And that's the front office is finally beginning to invest in the team. Talked about the extension for Key Brian Hayes, Brian Reynolds, Mitch Keller. So if Ben Sherrington in that front office is all of a sudden willing to spend a little money and willing to roll the dice on the roster, I already mentioned that this division is wide open. There is no guarantee for who's going to run away with this division. Pittsburgh Pirates are going to have O'Neill Cruz back. Their face of the franchise, a six foot six stud shortstop, broke his leg last season, sliding into home plate. He is 100% healthy. He's going to be all likelihood in the starting lineup come opening day. You're going to get him back. You have, uh, as I mentioned, Mitch Keller manning your uh, starting rotation. You bring in Martin Perez, Marco Gonzalez to help in the starting rotation. Back lineup wise, Henry Davis, former number one overall pick, he showed some pop last year from the catcher's position. He, uh, was working with Yasmani Grandal a lot um, a lot this offseason. Grandal, they also signed. Him and Davis are going to be platooning behind the backstop. I like Pittsburgh this year. We we talked about bold predictions uh, two months ago, Brooksy and I did. And I made the prediction that Pittsburgh is going to make the playoffs. Do they win the National League Central? I'm not sure. But O'Neill Cruz, Brian Reynolds, Key Brian Hayes, they still have McCutcheon, Jack Swinsky, they signed Rowdy Telez, Grandal, Henry Davis. They got some dudes in Pittsburgh. Ben Charrington, if he continues to roll the dice, Pittsburgh's a playoff team, playoff potential team this year. Cincinnati Reds, talk about potential. They showed a whole, being ahead of schedule, having young studs, really not having much of a payroll last year. They Nobody expected the Cincinnati Reds to do anything. And they're kind of similar to what Baltimore was. Hear me out on this. To what Baltimore was a couple years ago when Adley Rutschman was brought up. Nobody expected the Orioles to do anything at all. And all of a sudden, they thrust themselves into a playoff race at the end. They fell short. Similarly, Cincinnati Reds this last season, they thrust themselves into a playoff race. They wound up inevitably falling short. The Cincinnati Reds, glasses half full, 
is their entire starting lineup this year is age 30 or younger. The only guy that's age 30, in fact, is their one big hitter free agent that they signed in Jimer Candelario. He is exactly 30 years old. He just turned 30 years old this offseason. This is, according to Fangrass, their projected lineup, TJ Fridell, Matt McClain, Spencer Steer, Jimer Candelario, Jonathan India, Ellie De La Cruz, Noelvi Marte, Will Benson, Tyler Stevenson. All nine of those hitters, age 30 or below. Again, Candelario is the only guy that's even 30. If you take out Candelario here, it's actually they're all age 28 and younger. So talk about youth movement. Talk about having some, some young kids in your lineup. And by the way, a team that just missed the playoffs last year and was one of the more exciting teams. But starting rotation-wise, too, Hunter Green, 24 years old. Graham Ashcraft, 26. They signed Frankie Montas. We'll see how that turns out. He's dealt with injuries the last couple of years. And by the way, to keep your eye on Nick Lodolo, Lodolo had one of the higher strikeout per nine percentage before he started dealing with some shoulder injuries. He's still a young kid and expected to fill a role in that starting rotation. He's got nasty stuff. They brought over Nick Martinez. So they're young and they're hungry and they're just dumb enough to think that they can win the division. I, th I think they're definitely, um, definitely capable. Glasses half empty for the Cincinnati Reds, is they really had zero free agent splashes. I mentioned that they signed Jammer Candelario. Candelario, before last season, he had a career that was, it just never really worked out the way that a lot of people projected it would. Um, signed a one-year deal last year with the Nationals. He was traded away to the Chicago Cubs. He ended up leading the National League in doubles last year, which was great to see. So maybe he's a little bit of a late bloomer. That's what Cincinnati is hoping for, and that certainly could be the case. Starting rotation-wise, you bring over Frankie Montas, Nick Martinez. Montas, as I mentioned, has dealt with shoulder injuries, serious shoulder injuries. Never really pitched for the Yankees after they acquired him from Oakland. He's got electric stuff when he's healthy, but still a question mark hanging over his head. Nick Martinez is a Swiss Army knife. If he's not in the rotation, he could kick back into a bridge position in the bullpen. He can even close games for you. He did everything for the San Diego Padres. Uh, I, I love the Nick Martinez signing. I, every team needs a Nick Martinez. I love that signing. But again, zero big name signings in Cincinnati. And last but not least, the National League East. Start with the Atlanta Braves. I mean, pick one. We're doing glasses half full, glasses half empty. Glasses half full, man. You got a championship window for the next, what, five, six years? Not longer. You have team control of Acuna, Albies. Um, not Max Fried. He's going to be a free agent after next season. Um, but you're going to have control of Austin Riley, Matt Olson, Sean Murphy, Spencer Strider, and they just acquired Chris Sale. Man, I mean, Atlanta, Alex Anthopoulos, what he's able to do, dude's a wizard. So, but yeah, I, I have my glasses half full. Is It's an all-star team, like legitimately. Ronald Acuna Jr., all-star. Ozzie Albies, I'm going through their projected lineup on Fangrass. Ozzie Albies, all-star. Austin Riley, all-star. Matt Olson, all-star. Marcelo Zuna. All-star. Michael Harris has not been named an all-star yet. He's going to be named an all-star at some point in his career. Sean Murphy, all-star. Kellenick, they brought him over from Seattle. He has not been named an all-star yet, but he's another, he's a former top prospect. Him, Jared Kalenic, look for, talk about breakout candidates. Jared Kalenic is going to get a lot of good pitches to hit at the bottom of that Atlanta Brave order. All indications are, too, is that Atlanta is not looking to platoon Kellenic. So if Kellenic's able to, to build on the success that he had in limited time last year with Seattle before he got injured, Kellenic could have a breakout season on his hands. And by uh, the nine slot, by the way, to Orlando Garcia was an all-star last year. They even have all-stars on the bench. Travis Darnot, Darno, Spencer Strider in a rotation, all-star. I mean, I, I could keep going. Glasses half full, the Braves take one. Glasses half empty for the Braves is the bottom of the rotation is a little bit of a coin flip. And that was my issue with Atlanta last year. And that's why I thought Philadelphia, as I pre I predicted, I thought Philadelphia was better built for a postseason run than Atlanta, largely because the bottom of the rotation. Strider, Freed, very good at the top. Those are your, those are your, your one-two punches starting rotation-wise. Then you get into your three, four, fives. Charlie Morton's 40 years old. He's, no one, he's not showing necessarily any indications of slowing down. But once you hit that age 40 mark, history tells us that you start to lose a little bit of velocity. You start to lose a little bit of uh, a little bit of bend, and you're breaking stuff. Forty years old, Charlie Morton. 
you bring over Chris Sale. Chris Sale has not been healthy in four years. He's looked good in spring training so far. He said that he's healthy. Time will tell. Bryce Elder last year was an all-star. Second half of the season, he was not an all-star. Bryce Elder had an ERA that was close to five in the second half last year. If you look at the Savant numbers, the projections, he really outplayed what he was projected to do, Bryce Elder. He doesn't have electric stuff. Had one of the lowest strikeout per nine rates. He's really a ground ball, fly ball pitcher. So he produces weak contact, which is great. But indications are is that he was a little, you look at his batting average on ball and play, maybe he got a little luckier than what his numbers indicated. Now, if Morton, Sale, and Elder, maybe they don't work out. You look at Ian Anderson, who, if you remember, was a key piece in their championship run back in 2021. He's coming off of Tommy John surgery. So again, I say that the, the bottom of that rotation, I could probably spin it in a positive way. Charlie Morton, 40 years old, still got good stuff. You know, you could certainly do that. It's really subjective. But Morton, Sale, Elder, and then Ian Anderson, I would argue that's not a guarantee. That's your glass is half empty for the Braves. Philadelphia Phillies, who I just mentioned, glass is half full. I mentioned, I used the word intimidation when I talked about the Chicago Cubs. I think the Chicago Cubs could be a good team this year, but I thought they, I, I think they lack intimidation. Philadelphia Phillies, they're the complete opposite. Whether they're performing or not, the names in that lineup and their rotation are intimidating. You walk to the mound, you look at the, you don't even need to walk to the mound. You're going into Philadelphia, you're on the team plane, you're doing your scouting reports, you're trying to plan on how you're going to attack the Philadelphia Phillies lineup. And you're looking at their projected starting lineup and you're seeing, oh, Kyle Schwarber hit 40 home runs last season. He's leading off. Oh, Trey Turner after that. Yeah, he's 30 for 30 in stolen bases. I got to deal with him on the base pass. And he's one of the best pure hitting shortstops in baseball. Oh, after that's Bryce Harper. He really needs no description. Oh, Nick Castellanos. Oh, Alec Baum, Bryson Stott, JT Rio Muto, Brandon Marsh, Johan Roja. The lineup is just deep. I'm not saying Johan Rojas is intimidating necessarily. Maybe not Brandon Marsh. But that one through seven, on paper, scary, man. It's scary. And that's why this team is built for a postseason, because they're intimidating. Look at their starting rotation. Zach Wheeler, who's going to be a free agent, by the way, very, very soon. There's been some talks of an extension in Philadelphia. Zach Wheeler is going to want another big contract. Zach Wheeler, a Cy Young contender. Aaron Nola after that. Ranger Suarez after that. Taewon Walker. Bullpen-wise, Jose Alvarado, 102-mile-an-hour sinker ballers. Uh, Gregory Soto, 100-mile-an-hour from the left side. Sir Anthony Dominguez, upper nines. Matt Strunk. This is the most intimidating team in baseball. That's your glasses half full for the Phillies. Glasses half empty for the Phillies. They're in the same league as the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Atlanta Braves. I say that while also knowing that the Atlanta Braves fell to the Phillies last year in the postseason. However, the Braves outplayed the Phillies last year in the regular season. I know postseason means more, but last year the Atlanta Braves had a winning record against the Phillies. The Dodgers talked about at the beginning of this episode. On paper, they're the projected favorites to win the World Series. We'll see what happens. Obviously, they have fallen short time and time again. But the Dodgers on paper, you could make the argument is probably better right now than the Philadelphia Phillies. It's it's going to be tough. Those are going to be your probably most likely three best teams in the National League. Braves, Phillies, Dodgers. A lot could change. The New York Mets, completely new structure, completely new um, identity for the New York Mets, who, when Steve Cohen came in, was breaking records payroll-wise. He was spending money left and right. They're still spending some money, but they're a little bit, like I said, a little bit differently this year. Um, last year, you know, they had Verlander and Scherzer and big names and a lot of money. This year, their projected ace is Jose Quintana. After that, Luis Severino coming off some major injuries. Didn't have a good season at all last season with the Yankees. Sean Manaya showed some major, major growth last season. Last season, excuse me. I'll be out of the bullpen with San Francisco, Adrian Hauser, Tyler McGill. What David Stearns is able to do roster construction-wise, I've talked with multiple Brewers executives. They say he is as good as it gets as a baseball executive. So their offseason additions of, of Bader, Joey Wendell, Tyrone Taylor, might be smaller names, the starting pitchers that I just mentioned as well. 
might be smaller names, but I have a lot of faith in David Stearns and his ability to create wins through roster construction. And uh, so their glasses half full is they're pressure free with David Stearns. And they have some prospects as well. They're going to have uh, uh, little Acuna, Luis Angel Acuna. Um, he's the little brother of Ronald Acuna Jr. They have some uh, some Brett Beatty's involved. Um, got out to a little bit of a slow start to his career last year, but he's still only 24 years old. Francisco Alvarez socked 20 plus bombs last year as a 21 year old catcher. So you have some youth movement. Uh, and you have just less pressure. They're not expected to do much in Queens, and maybe that's for the best. Glasses half empty for the Mets is they're unfortunately going to start the season without their ace, Kode Senga. I mentioned how Jose Quintana is their projected ace right now. That's because Kode Senga, who had one of the highest strikeout per nine last season in his rookie season, he's going to start the season on the injured list. He's dealing with some shoulder issues. Miami Marlins. Glasses half full is Peter Pendick, uh, excuse me, Peter Bendix, who is their new director of baseball operations. He is a roster magician. Since coming over, uh, I say coming over, he really started as an intern with the Tampa Bay Rays. He was there for a decade as an intern, and then he just kind of moved up the ranks. He started as assistant GM, then he took over as uh, baseball operation or uh, uh, head GM, and since becoming the GM with the Rays, they made the playoffs three years in a row with Peter Dent, uh, Bendix as their general manager. Miami Marlins, of course, took notice. They brought him over, put him on a flight from, uh, what would that be, West Florida, brought him over down to South Beach, and uh, Peter Bendix is now their president of baseball operations from Miami. I think Miami dropped the ball last year and this offseason. I think they really had a Maybe not a championship window, but with the youth that they have starting rotation-wise with Jesus Lazardo, now he could potentially be on the trading block. And I think they had some misfortune, too, with Sandy Alcantara and his Tommy John surgery that he's going through. Combination of misfortune, um, in my opinion, missed opportunities, um, has Miami kind of in a state of limbo. Um, or glasses half empty for Miami. They were 33-14 and 14 in one-run games last season. Now you can put, a, again, positive spin, negative spin. You can put a positive spin on it and say, well, they're really good in one-run games. I would tend to say that baseball seems to work itself out, law of averages, that if you're just so dominant in one-run games, eventually the luck is going to turn the other direction. 33 and 14 in one-run games. Eventually you're going to blow another save, You know, just the way the baseball bounces sometimes. And then also not having Sandy Alcantara, their ace this year, okay, Tommy John surgery, he's not going to pitch in 2024. And especially if Jesus Lazardo is traded at some point, two less arms, two less dominant arms, you're probably going to see that record in one-run games get turned toward uh, the other side of the uh, the other side of the coin. And finally, the Washington Nationals. This was another tough one, kind of like the Colorado Rockies. I had a little bit of a tough time looking for a glasses half full, but I had two of them. For the Nationals. Number one is C.J. Abrams. Abrams last year, especially in the second half, looked like the kid that they traded for They traded for um, from San Diego. He was part of the trade for Juan Soto when Soto went from the Nationals to the Padres. He was him and Mackenzie Gore, the two key pieces in that trade. And C.J. Abrams, when he was traded over to Washington, was still just 20 years old. But he showed all the tools. He's top prospect in Major League Baseball, left-handed hitting shortstop, combination of speed and power at the time when they traded for him it's a little bit more gap to gap but you could see the power potential last year it started to come into fruition so last year 21 year old shortstop uh excuse me 22 year yeah 22 year old shortstop played in 151 games last year for the washington nationals batting average is not going to light you up not going to excite you too much 245 on base percentage not going to light you up too much 300 if you look at his second half splits, which I have right here in front of me, uh, first half, he batted 245, seven homers, 14 stolen backs. Second half last season, by the way, this is in 11 fewer games in the first half. He batted 246, about the same batting average, but his OPS in the first half was 690. His OPS in the second half, 734. Also in the second half, 11 homers compared to seven in the first half. Stolen bases, Dude had 33 stolen bases 
in 68 games in the second half last year. So a 22-year-old shortstop with that very, very rare mix of power, speed. Uh, he's got some work to do in the field. I think he led the National League last year in errors. But he's got all the tools. And he's only 22. Uh, he's going to be 23 this year, C.J. Abrams. Uh, that's something to look forward to as a Nationals fan. The second one, too, I don't actually – I didn't write anything down. But when I look at their depth chart, uh, the Washington Nationals, and it's really – it's going to be Cade Cavalli who they're going to get back. He had Tommy John surgery last year. This is a kid that before he got injured was one of those rare starting pitchers who was sporting a 98-plus average miles per hour fastball. We saw him in the Futures game. We've seen his development, and then now the injury, unfortunately, stunted his um, his rise up the ranks. But Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, and possibly Cade Cavalli in their rotation. I won't say glass is half full because I don't know what Cavalli is going to be yet but it's at least something to look for in 2024. And the glasses half empty for the Washington Nationals is they're probably still one year away from being one year away. I mentioned how Abrams really showed a lot of growth last year. Josiah uh, Gray, Mackenzie Gore. Mackenzie Gore showed growth last year, but all likelihood, especially with the way that the, the roster is constructed, the way that this front office spends money, or lack thereof, they're probably still a year away from having, they need another year for Kybert Ruiz, Abrams, some of these young guys to develop, uh, get some more experience under their belt. And maybe in 2025, if you see some growth, I think ideally for the Nationals, is they're kind of like this season Cincinnati Reds. Like they show that these young guys are ahead of schedule and then they can look to compete in 2025. But again, glass is half empty because they're still probably one year away from being one year away. I'm out of breath. That does it for the glasses half full, glasses half empty for the National League. Told you, we're going to have Volume 2 American League coming up later this week, so just stay tuned for that. You can see all that on the Wake and Rake handles, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Go check out our new trailer. It's pretty sweet. I do say so myself. Middlebrooks will be back. In the meantime, again, Volume 2 coming out later this week. Glasses half full, glasses half empty. Appreciate you sticking with me. Next time we talk, hopefully my voice will be a little bit better, feeling healthier and healthier day by day. Appreciate it, folks. So long and Godspeed.